0: Hi Shoreline City. Hey, I'm Catherine.
1: And I'm Jay Wolf.
0: And we are so glad to speak with you guys today. Listen, this is weird on the one hand. Of course it is. In person is always better. Yeah. But aren't we thankful this can happen? Oh, we're so grateful. Okay, we're not just thankful this could happen during COVID times. Right. But we're actually really thankful right about now. Had a little issue recently. As you may see, I took a bad fall, and unfortunately, (laughs) I dislocated my knee. I'm doing what they call the unhappy triad of. Carrying my ACL, MCL, and meniscus. So, yeah, yeah travel would be wrong. hard.
1: You're not wrong about that.
0: So, I'm just I'm so glad we can do this and be here right now with Absolutely.
1: you. Absolutely. Now, we're so grateful that this worked, and um, we love your pastor. We hope to meet you in person someday. Uh, but until then, as so many things in 2020 have demonstrated, there is this opportunity to lean into this um, constraint and to maybe pivot into something totally new and to some uncharted territory and maybe into some new ways of doing things that work maybe even better in some ways longer term so we're into that that's sort of the the theme of our story and <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah the themes even um about disability constraint being this avenue to a new kind of freedom this is what we're going to share today and we hope that um, this vehicle of our story opens up some new ideas in your own story about what God does not just in spite of your limitations but because of them.
0: So what we'd like to do today is really share with you our hearts um, just our story in Mm a nutshell and some lessons learned from it and we pray so much that it will encourage you Mm -hmm. in your journey. And we hope you don't just see this as a testimony of Mm -hmm. like what happened to this couple um, all those years ago, but instead really see yourself in this Mm -hmm. story. And actually, we think it's kind of crazy that um, what remains today after my healing has come is things that are so relatable to everybody in every situation they're in. We actually like to call them invisible wheelchairs that we all are carrying, that we all have all kinds of brokenness on the inside. And some of us sit in these wheelchairs on the outside of our body, Mm -hmm. but we've all got stuff, don't we? We all do. And you know, I'm the one with the paralyzed face And yet, who feels beautiful all the time? Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's in the wheelchair and can't walk, but who feels free all the time. I'm the one who doesn't wake up and love my seat in life, but who does every day of Mm -hmm. their lives? Nobody. We think that what I'm dealing with, what we are dealing with in our marriage is actually extremely universal. That it's so relatable to every story of every marriage of every life that is feeling broken on the inside by stuff and hard things that have happened in Mm -hmm. our lives that we're coping with. But we think we have the same opportunity, regardless of the brand of brokenness, Mm -hmm. to see that story of suffering leading us to a story of strength because of Jesus. So,
1: What's been cool, too, in 2020 is to see all of these things that we've learned over this past 12 years when everything changed in our life, um, that it's still true, that it's still um, no matter sort of the specific obstacles or struggles that we face, and there's going to be more. There's going to be many more wow. between here and heaven. And yet, this same golden thread holds it all together. That no matter the deepest pain we carry, mm-hmm. there is a God who carries us in the midst of it mm-hmm. and has not forsaken us even though He might be silent or harder to hear in certain seasons. Um, but we've found even in this time of quarantine, this time of global and communal suffering, that all of this has sort of come profoundly alive in a bigger way for more people. We can say, you know, you have invisible wheelchairs and people might be like, I don't know. I don't really get that. But probably more so than ever in this past year, people have said, I I understand what it means to be constrained in my life, to have obstacles that I didn't see coming a mile away. And now I have to figure out what do I do with this life that God has allowed me to have? and, And can I maybe even eventually learn to love it? or flourish within it. And what's really cool about this idea of invisible wheelchairs, which we kind of came upon, um, probably years after the stroke when Catherine had been living with disabilities for many years, just there is this universality of our struggle that we share. But if that is the case, there is this universality of the hope that we share too. Right. And um, the reality is a wheelchair, you might've heard of being wheelchair bound, which just side note, don't say that. It's kind of offensive if you're in a wheelchair, okay? you're Not bound to it because guess what? This wheelchair helps Catherine get from A to B. It helps her be in the world. It helps her when her legs don't work normally, especially now with this broken leg, the wheelchair is not something she's bound to or limited by, it's this avenue to her freedom. (laughs) And if that is the case, and this is a big statement, and I just want you to sit with that and just see sort of what the Holy Spirit does in your heart with it, but maybe your invisible wheelchairs could be the avenue to your freedom too. And not the end of your story, but the beginning of a new kind of story because of Jesus. So that's the kind of theme we want you to just have your heart open to. Again, that's a big statement. That's a hard statement to sort of swallow. That the hardest parts of my life, the the parts that are constraining what I thought my life and story would be, my freedom, my options, what if those were the very things that were honing me in on who God wants me to be and who He wants me to know, which is Himself? Mm -hmm. And um, this opportunity for constraints to lead to our flourishing is something we've seen in the pandemic and something we've seen in our story time and time again, that your constraints can lead you to a new kind of clarity about what remains. Sometimes we have all these options and it's almost overwhelming but sometimes when we're constrained down we get clarity on what remains what God's doing what he's allowed and what he's given us and then we have to get creative with that and that's what we've all been trying to do like all the pivots of 2020 all the figuring it out all the virtual events and the digital um, maneuverings you know we've had to get creative and yet that's opened up a whole new possibility that I think will continue a lot of things past uh, when quarantine and pandemic is Way in the rearview mirror, we're going to continue with the creative things that we've learned during this time, and then lastly, this opportunity for a new kind of compassion yeah. um, that our heart would be broken and that wouldn't just be the end, but it would be broken open for others. Mm. That the Spirit of God would allow that broken heart to actually create it and expand it an expanded and open heart on the other side of it. So, just some sort of things to tee up, but we want to share our story because we found that story sort of connects the two parts of the brain, you know, sort of the left, sort of rational thinking side and the right sort of feeling side, story sort of weaves them together. I think that's why Jesus told so many of them.
0: Well, they say that the parables of Jesus are actually Jesus camouflage. That all of our stories, in fact, are that. That are actually just the story of the gospel with some Mm camouflage. And that's what we pray our story can be in your life. So we we want to start it by telling you that we were 22 years old, (laughs) That we got married in Birmingham, or we got married after college in Birmingham, mm-hmm. Alabama, and Confly moved all the way to California. Yep. Now he's from Alabama, I'm from Georgia, and we don't really know why we decided to do this, but we decided to set out on this crazy adventure when we were young and wild and free and moved to California where he started law school at Pepperdine. And I was doing some entertainment industry work and we were living life and it was fun and carefree and we got really plugged into our church.
1: Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's huge. And we always like to, when we share our story at church, just give a little side note plug um, that even in this crazy time of uh, being so disconnected that we would seek more intentionally to be connected into our local body of Christ. And what's cool is you can kind of Also go experience other communities. I mean, I think it's amazing, uh, but for us in that season, being a part of the family of God through our local church would change everything in our story. I know we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be celebrating. We just celebrated 16 years of marriage um, were it not for the local church. So if you're watching this, if you hear my voice, I just commend you. It matters. Don't wait, don't wait till the future unknown time and we can all get back together, whatever find a way to, to offer what God has given you to the local church. Um, yeah. it's changed us forever. And, and that local church in California, they offered us even an opportunity to, to, to be in some leadership, which is kind of crazy. We were 22 at the time. And right. I think they just didn't have anybody else cause LA is a tiny bit Blakey. You know, we love California, <laughs> but anyway, there was nobody else to lead it, is really what happened. And, uh, we were this good Southern volunteers and we <laughs> led the young Marriage class. Yeah. Um, Again, we've been married six months and we're 22. So we knew so much well, about Well, tell him
0: what your dad. His dad married us because his yep. dad's a pastor. And tell them what he said as we said our wedding mails. Out of nowhere. This isn't something he's ever said before.
1: Well, he... he... You know, don't you love when your wife puts you on the spot? And I'm like, I have no idea what you want me to you, say. The pa- but now I'm remembering. Yes, you know. <laughs> Matthew 7, I think is what you're referring yes, to. Yes, it so was. So yeah, my dad's a pastor. He'd never really done a wedding sermon from Matthew 7, but he felt really led to this um, idea where, and this parable where Jesus asked the crowd, what kind of foundation are you building your house on? Um, because it really matters what your foundation is, because the storms are going to come. They just are, inevitably. And so if you built your house on the sand... When the storms come, everything's going to fall apart. But when you built your house on the rock, you're going to withstand any storm, okay? And so we're 22, and we're like, Dad, that is a bummer wedding message. Why are you talking about storms and hurricanes? I don't even know. Shoreline City, you may know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> the point is, um, he planted that seed in our heart that there would be storms. Yeah. And even in that season, when our brain weren't even fully formed at 22, we still had this Notion that there may be hard times ahead and that it really mattered what we did right now in that early phase of our life, mm-hmm. planting our life, putting our foundation on something secure, which is Jesus and, and the church and, and his word. And that's what we did. And, um, you know, it again, it, it changed everything. And so we got to be in that season of young married leadership um, where we were giving of ourselves sacrificially to the church. Yeah. And, and little did we know that God was preparing for us in that season when there was no storm clouds ahead that we could see for what he had prepared for us,
0: yeah.
1: which was a storm that would change everything. And
0: um, you know. and side note, in that special season, we had a surprise baby and um, sure. little James Thompson Wolf was born on October 16th, 2007. <laughs> And he was a total surprise and yet just like the mascot of the Sunday school class and we'd pack him in the car and drive all over the place and life was fun and carefree and easy. He was, We were 25, he was six months old when everything changed.
1: Yeah, Um, the spring of 2008 with the six-month-old baby James and I was actually a few weeks from graduating law school at Pepperdine. We lived in the married housing dorm and... You know, just had all these dreams within our grasp of what we thought our future was going to be. Right. And, um, you know, new season, post-law school, new job opportunities, new family. And uh, that that was just imminent. We knew it was. And yet, um, I was going to one of my last classes, um, actually procrastinated and had to go back to our on-campus apartment um, to finish printing out a paper. and And
0: in the meantime... I have this terrible headache. My, I'm almost feeling like dizzy and just couldn't shake this weird feeling, Mm -hmm. but really was able to just ride it off as like, I haven't slept much, I've just had a baby six months ago, I'm Mm -hmm. breastfeeding, I'm yuck. Like, oh, I just don't feel good. And he happens to come home in between his final classes, Mm -hmm. and I'm in the kitchen, put the baby down for a nap, and I collapse. I fall to my hands and knees, they go numb, I begin throwing up, and I realize, okay, this is something serious. Mm. And quickly, he's able to call 911, the paramedics come, put me on the stretcher, and Mm. as we're leaving the married housing dorm, I'm just having these thoughts that are so funny in retrospect, because I had no idea the severity of what we were talking about. I'm thinking like, I hope they remember to use that bottle when James wakes up for a nap, and I wonder if I ate a funny burrito yesterday, and it's making me feel weird, and I wonder if we should pack a toothbrush, and I had no idea that when I went unconscious moments later, I would be in that state for over two months before waking up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that day was a day in our life and in our story when everything changed and when there was this sort of line drawn through our history. And maybe you're thinking of a day when when everything changed in your life, when you got that phone call or diagnosis and um, it was a line you can't ever go back across. And for us, that day was um, April 21st, 2008. And, they took her from our married housing dorm. It was that first house that we shared as a couple that we brought our baby home to, and she would never come back to that place again. And you know, some chapters of our life are are closed without a lot of warning and without a lot of closure, really. And um, it would take many years to sort of grieve all of the losses that came with that. But she was rushed to the ER at UCLA Hospital, and I remember going, uh, racing behind the ambulance that. Um, ordinary Monday, you know, at 2 p.m., and uh, coming around the corner to this ER. Again, we hardly knew if we had insurance. You know, it just wasn't in the realm of the possible that anything bad would happen. We were healthy and young, and uh, we came around the corner and saw a huge billboard that said UCLA Hospital, the best hospital in the West, and the number three hospital in the whole country. And, um, you know, there were these little glimpses in the midst of the chaos of that moment of everything sort of breaking apart when we could see God holding it all together again. I'm yeah. um, Having brought us to that hospital that I didn't even know, you know, the best place for her, or who had the best neurosurgeons or something like that. And um, we ran into the ER waiting room and, and I was confused for a second because I saw a lot of familiar faces and it turned out it was our church family who had come ahead of us. To, to give us the gift that I think is maybe the most underrated gift that we give each other during suffering, which is the gift of our presence. And I think so often we're overwhelmed with the pain uh, of suffering and how it fits together. And so maybe we shy away from entering into it because we don't even know what to say. But the, the yeah. real good news is you don't have to say anything. Yeah. We get to give each other the gift of our presence and maybe even more so the ministry of our tears. Yeah. And that's what my church family gave me that day. And it really changed how I thought about my perseverance, how I thought about um, continuing to walk through this unexpected and horrific season because I knew I wasn't alone. And it wasn't just some platitudes and some Bible verses slapped out of context. It was real human beings incarnationally, like we talk about Jesus coming to be with us incarnate. That's what we get to give each other. And that's Mm -hmm. what they gave me that day and um, gathered around me with when the surgeon, uh, who happened to be on call named Dr. Nestor Gonzalez um, came up to me and said you know your wife has experienced a massive brainstem stroke and um, it's from a very rare defect congenital defect she's had on her brain her whole life it's called an AVM and um, unfortunately it's the largest that I've ever seen he said it has four aneurysms on top of it it's engulfing her cerebellum and her brainstem, and and the bleeding is squeezing everything down into her spinal column and I I don't think it's survivable. Um, And so he he sort of left and the fact that I was a lawyer frankly was not helping the case of even whether he should do it or not. Um, And yet I I believe the Holy Spirit just spoke to his heart to say you have to give this mom a chance and he said Mm -hmm. he couldn't get that baby uh, out of his mind and so really against all odds and against all logic he took Catherine into surgery. Uh, because it was really a hopeless case because um, of how just far gone she was and the, and the devastating nature of her injury. Um, but we went from there to the uh, to the waiting room and thought it would be about eight hours. And that night, again, we we experienced, and I experienced having grown up in the church. My dad's a pastor, come from the Bible Belt. Um, but I experienced church probably in the more most profound way uh, that I'd ever experienced in my life in that waiting room. And maybe you've experienced that too. Um, sort of all the pretense aside, all the distractions aside, and just this sort of desperation that God, unless you come and enter in and intervene and have mercy on us, there's no way out. And yet we also just got to experience this moment of community and the joy that overflows. We like to say sort of our, our parties uh, and our pulpits shouldn't be so far apart, right? <laughs> like our, our celebrations should be worshipful and our worship should be celebratory. Yeah. Um, because it, again, there's just this overflow in this reality that we are not alone in our suffering. And I, and I grabbed a Bible and read from Romans eight, which Catherine had memorized as a child. And, it, you know, you'd know this passage probably, but if you don't look it up and read it and let it speak life into you, it's, you know, it's been almost shared so much. It's almost, uh, you know, it's, it can be trite and we can sort of get callous to the reality of the promises in it. But I read it because I didn't know what else to read. Um, I I knew, though, I couldn't just read it. I was going to have to believe it in a different kind of way. I was going to have to bet my life on it. I was going to have to bet Catherine's life on it. Um, These promises where it says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, Mm -hmm. even though it didn't feel very loving, and that God was working all things for good to those that love him, even though it didn't look very good, I I knew that that was something I was going to have to hang everything on. And uh, the next morning, the sun came up. It had been... Sixteen hours, and the surgeon came out finally, and looked exhausted. And he said, "Catherine lived." And so to this day, we we have Catherine's normal birthday, which is March eighth, but then we have her second birthday, which is April twenty second. That was that next day. Um, we're against all odds. There was a miracle that happened, and God allowed Catherine to live. And um, so we celebrate that sort of as the Easter, you know, to the Good Friday of when she had the stroke, so to speak. And uh, he said, you know, she's alive, but you need to know that she may not wake up. She might be vegetative. Um, We had to remove over half of her cerebellum. We had to do a lot of damage and sacrifice a lot of things just to save her life. So um, you need to know she is alive, but we don't know whether, you know, she'll be paralyzed or, or she'll ever have a life again, frankly. And so we sat with that reality and yet there was some sort of spark of hope in my heart. And I, and I give uh, the Holy Spirit all the you know, credit for that one. It wasn't anything I did or said, it was just this sense that God had spared her life for a reason. And so whenever you find the smallest glimpse of life, you hold on to that because it is the beginning of hope. And uh, for me, that hope has continued to fan into flame and I pray it never goes out. Um, but Catherine was taken to ICU. Um, They said, you know, she'll be on life support, she'll be in a medically induced coma. And so the surgeon went to go rest and um, later that night he got this frantic sort of page from the ICU nurse and he thought Catherine had died so he ran back up to the ICU and the nurse said, no, you won't believe it, she's actually trying to communicate. She's unconscious but she's already trying to communicate that she's in there and as you can tell this lady, um, you know, not even medically induced coma can keep her down. She needs to (laughs) communicate that she was in there. And I'm so grateful she did because it was the beginning of this sense that, um, you know, God was going to take us through this wilderness. Um, and actually, she would be in ICU for 40 days on life support. Again, this sort of very biblical, almost number and again, sign. Of God just giving us this little glimpse that He hadn't left us, even though maybe we couldn't hear His voice as clearly, we didn't understand it. He was with us, He was showing us Himself, and He was going to lead us to this promise one way or another.
0: Yeah, I um, would finally wake up and sort of learn what had happened after over two months. So I'm waking up to this new reality and everyone else has been dealing with this day in and day out for months and I had no idea. Actually, one of the most important takeaways that now I see clearly from that season of waking up was that I, I, what you would probably call a stroke survivor, and that's the reason I am dealing with so many disabilities right now, It's because I'm a stroke survivor. But actually, that 16-hour surgery he referenced, a micro brain surgery, um, Dr. Gonzalez, in that surgery, made the decision, the careful decision, to sacrifice various elements of my body in order for other things to be able to flourish Mm -hmm. and heal. Which is such an important biblical concept Mm -hmm. that in our deep wounding, our healing can come. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, that the true wise and careful surgeon knows what he's doing. That sometimes there is deep wounding, it says in Job, but there is healing by his hand. And we see that on my body to date. Do I look perfectly healed to the world? Not really. But... um I'm healed in the deepest places, Mm. which is my soul. And I'm 10,000 times better than I was when I woke up in that hospital bed. And I have a hand that doesn't work, I can't walk, I can't see well, my face is paralyzed, I'm deaf in one ear, and blah, blah, blah. But I am so much better than I was in that hospital bed that it's hard to even say I didn't get the traditional healing one might long for because I'm living the healing. Mm, yeah. I, um, I believe so deeply that if you have a pulse, then you have a purpose. Mm. And that's kind of where I hang out. I, I got the pulse. So I've been given tremendous purpose mm. in life. And back to that hospital bed, um, it was as rough as you can imagine. I mean, my life is turned upside down. I'm a perfectly healthy 26-year-old new mom. I've been no medical history, no family history, no issues whatsoever prior to this. So I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that I've had a brain stem stroke. I didn't even hardly know what that was, much less that it could happen to someone my age and not a great-grandmother, and I'm, I'm just trying to even understand this with the reality that baby James, who's now eight months old, is being brought in and out of the room to like say hi to me and like, I'm mom. Mm. And we think probably much deeper than the stroke, that maternal instinct comes in and is stronger. and. I was saying, although I couldn't speak yet, I was saying with my eyes, that's my baby and I need to take care of him now, so leave him in the hospital bed. It was really tragic because of course all my sweet friends and family are rallying to care for him, for us, and they can't do that, but I was so frustrated just wanting to take care of that baby. And That was only one of just tremendous difficulties in terms of my recovery. I did not eat at all. I was fed through a tube in my stomach and I couldn't even understand for weeks why I couldn't even chew ice, nothing. Mm -hmm. Only fed through a tube for over a year actually. Mm -hmm. I would slowly get better enough to when I could sit up on the edge of my bed and they deemed me ready to move to another facility. So after about six months, I was able to move to another facility, the brain rehab I would go to for almost two years. And whoa, it was rough. It was um, unlike anything you can imagine. People are in the absolute worst places of their lives. I mean, their lives have been destroyed. They feel like, especially if they have no faith, this was their one shot, Mm -hmm. their one life, and it's been ruined. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot Mm -hmm. of depression, a lot of darkness, a lot of sadness, and a lot of anger. Plenty of people have lost the cognitive ability to reason, and they're very angry and violent, Mm -hmm. and it was a very, very dark season. We
1: say, too, like, if you ever want perspective on why your life's not that bad, Maybe go to your local Brain Rehab, just do a little volunteering. Yeah. Perspective is perspective is good.
0: Perspective right. is beautiful. Um, our our first date while I was in the Brain Rehab, yeah. um, Jay packed me up in my wheelchair. I've got my feeding tube hanging out of my stomach. And we went on a date.
1: I think it was illegal too. Right. I sort of, yeah.
0: yeah, I think he snuck me out of there. He busted me out that? of the rehab.
1: Like
0: and um we went and saw Slum Dog Millionaire, which is a hmm. movie maybe some of you have seen. And for some reason hmm. the Lord moved so deeply, and here I am, like laid out in the wheelchair with a feeding tube, yeah. and so I can barely hear. I was just off, I can barely see. And seeing Orphans on the streets of India Mm -hmm. and just entering in a smidgen Mm -hmm. to that reality transformed my perspective. I'm like, I mean, I am living the dream here (laughs) compared to what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. right before my eyes. And that was really a moment where we recognized perspective is incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. because, of course. Your situation may not change tomorrow, oh. but how you think about your situation can. Mm-hmm. How you internalize it, how you remember it, how you move forward from it, mm-hmm. that is all up to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But back to my story, <laughs> i that was a little side <laughs> a little note, side a little nugget a little. for you. I um, I was getting better in the brain we have. I was slowly relearning to eat and speak and walk and Everyone asked me if I had a moment of just total despair where I wanted to give up. And I say yes and no. I don't think I ever really got there, but I did come very, very close in November of 2008. And I I can remember my neck just hanging on my chest and seeing in the distance my husband and my now one-year-old son and some friends almost like frolicking in my mind in front of me and I'm in the back of this big room in this wheelchair and I'm seeing them and I can remember thinking that God must have made a mistake here, that this is not how it should be, that I should have died and he could remarry, he could have a normal mommy And eventually everyone stopped being so sad that I did not fit. That I was caught between life and death and my body didn't work, but I wasn't in heaven yet. So clearly God, if he's even real, has totally forgotten me and just left me here in this state. And I can't even figure it out I've loved God and walked with him my entire life and yet in this moment is he here is he at work is he real and as I'm like processing all of this and trying to to recognize that God is or isn't even a part of this and just really like internalizing and almost as those like Thoughts are really like landing on me it's hard to describe but I have this like wave come over me and I know it was supernatural this deep crazy in a way but so real sense that everything I've ever known since I was a little girl about God is true And in the deep darkness I was in, in that moment, what had been true in the light a couple months ago Mm -hmm. is still true now in the dark. And it changed everything. Because I knew, and there was not even a question anymore, that God was saying to me, Catherine, you are not a mistake because I don't make mistakes. I know better than you know. I'm God, you're not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Somehow this is all part of what I am doing in your story. You are fearfully and beautifully made mm-hmm. and, and I'm like hearing this in my head Knowing that so much of this is the scripture that I've known and loved about God since I was young. I I could almost hear in my head that somehow all of this is part of what God is doing in my story. I knew that beautiful idea that, that Psalm 139 notion that he knit me together in my mother's room and that is actually where that little AVM was hmm. that was in my brain that would grow and grow and rupture as a 26-year-old. Like that was in there before I was born, when I was knit together. I heard so deeply that Ephesians 4-1 notion, that Catherine I have called you to live a life worthy of the special calling that you've received. And this may not look like a calling to many. And you probably don't understand this, Catherine. But this calling is me choosing you. And I can remember feeling like chosen in that moment. They're like, yes, Lord, I do not understand this, but somehow I know that you have a very special place for me in this world. Yeah. And um, to catch you up, like, <laughs> I now call this wheelchair my seat of honor. How crazy is that? Because somehow in the upside down kingdom, what could only be seen, as Jay said, as a binding, limiting wheelchair, is actually the seat, my throne, <laughs> the seat of honor that God has chosen me to sit in for my life. Hmm. So that's all for now.
1: <laughs> You're still chosen, girl.
0: You still are. Thank
1: you. Yeah, and um, and even just getting to share that. Story is a reminder for us, you know, in Ebenezer, just how far God's brought us. And it's, uh, it's preaching to our own heart right now, even in this season, um, that God has shown up before and he's going to keep showing up. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say it to myself and to you, but let the upending of your life give you a better view of the upside down kingdom of God. Yeah. Because it looks really different than the world around you, maybe even the dreams that you had for your life. And yet it is this beautiful picture, this clearer picture of the kingdom of God, that looks so much upside down from the normal kingdom of this world. And uh, that's what this past 12 years since the stroke has been about. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, the story that Catherine just told about God really overwhelming her with the truth of his scripture, that she's not a mistake and that he has something for her in this pain and this suffering that won't be wasted. That was Thanksgiving in 2008. And so 12 years later... Um, just to continue to see a richness and a depth of of what God continues to to make good on that promise has been profound Mm -hmm. and that said you know sometimes when we go through hard things we think when we get this picture of who God is and what he's doing that it's going to be sort of this trigger that just flips everything in our circumstance and it's going to be this you know sort of upward trajectory from there okay God like that was you know not great but let's move on past the suffering in our story and do something better. Maybe check that off the bucket list, hit the uh, vacations, maybe the retirement. I don't know uh, what's on your bucket list. But anyway, the point is, that's not how it works, you know. And um, we've gone through hard things then and we've gone through hard things a few weeks ago and everything in between. And it's been our first beautiful things and joyful things and deep things. And, um, you know, the point is, God has offered us, Himself in the midst, yeah. He's offered us this opportunity to open our hands to the life that we thought we might have, and right. and when we open our hands, it looks like we're losing something, doesn't it? We don't like to do that. We don't like to feel out of control, so we have so often sort of clench our fists around things, even really good things, even our future, even our families, even our callings, even our um, you know finances, whatever it is, wow. our health. And yet God is saying, when you release your hands and you open them. You're going to find yourself filled up with more than you could have ever imagined. (laughs) Because now you're in this posture of receiving Mm -hmm, me. And so that's this tension that we all live in. Mm -hmm. And God is saying, um, in that opening of, of your hands, I want you to also step into this moment in your story and in your life with your full heart. And that's really hard sometimes when your heart's been broken, isn't it? To know that there's this possibility that it's going to be hurt again. And yet, as I said at the top, this possibility for a broken heart because of who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit in us to not just end with a breaking, but end with a healed and a bigger and an expanded heart full of compassion, looking outward, not just on our own stuff and our own pain and being myopic and self-focused, but actually leading your pain to a new kind of purpose.
0: And that's exactly what happened in our story We couldn't shake it, we couldn't just go back to our old life. It's like we've been birthed anew, we gotta share this and that's what we started doing and along came our ministry and along came a book Hope Heals that tells our story And along came an incredible camp for families with disabilities, Mm -hmm. just like us, where a family system gets to come to a camp and have a vacation-like experience together, celebrating Mm -hmm. not like that the pain is gone Mm -hmm. or that sadness and sorrow were not a part of the story, Mm -hmm. but actually celebrating that... It's the baseline, there is pain, but there is joy in the story, even with the pain. Actually, we ended up writing a book based on our teaching to this camp community called Suffer Strong, because we feel so deeply and want to encourage you with the truth today. That there is suffering with strength because of Jesus. That in fact, you are up for it, no Mm -hmm. matter what the suffering looks like. Not because you are up for it, Mm -hmm. but because Jesus working in you enables you to do the very hardest Mm -hmm. thing in your story. We have wanted so deeply to instill that in our boys. Mm -hmm. We should have told you... We had another baby. So now we have two little boys, James and John, and it's a joy to parent two little ones now, although it's hard, oh, as yeah. you may know.
1: Quarantine. Quarantine too, goodness gracious. So
0: I I want to just read this tiny snippet with you. Yep. That as we tucked our kids into bed at the end of a long day, this sprang from my lips with surprising strength and clarity. Perhaps because I was telling it to my own heart. James and John, God made you to do the hard thing in the good story he's writing in your life. Whether tomorrow is the best day or the worst day or the last day of our lives, we pray that God will give us everything we need to live out our lives to the fullest with courage and grace. Hmm. And that cry of our hearts mm-hmm. is really to live the good, hard life, to recognize that there is not a good bucket and a hard bucket, mm-hmm. but it's one deal. It's mm-hmm. always one commingled life, the good, hard life. And if we can still instill that in each other, in our children, we will see a different world where we're not disillusioned. Instead, Mm -hmm. we have woken up to the fact that hard things are the reality this side of heaven. But even in hard things, there are good things.
1: And we start going from this posture of looking inward to looking up, and then looking up, looking out Mm -hmm. at the world around us, at at the people who God is intersecting our life with for His purposes in this world, for His healing of the world. And we get to be a part of that, friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, this profound charge that is that is the calling on our life and the calling on yours, that you have been given a hope, not just so you can keep it to yourself, but that you can give it away. And in the giving away to people who need that hope, that they will know the God of all comfort mm-hmm. because of you. And um, so that's what we gotta do. In yeah. the quarantine, in the non-quarantine, in the good times, in the hard times, in the light, in the dark. We've been given this hope so that we can be conduits of it and vessels of it to a world in need.
0: That's right. Can I pray that for us? Let's pray pray that. Dear Father, may the God of all hope fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with the power of the hope of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. My friend.